Hi, this is JP Mack, and welcome to Liberty Relearn, not just another conservative blog. Its name is Omicron. It's the reason you'll still need to wear a mask at work and in school in 2022. It will be the desperate need cited for getting small children vaccinated. It's the reason you have to stay home for Christmas again this year, and don't even think of New Year's Eve. It's the reason why you'll be getting a fourth shot in about five months. It's the reason your compliance will continue to be mandatory in 2022. There you thought you'd finally be free of COVID. If you live in the formerly free of country of Australia, it will be responsible for lockdowns 473 through 842. If not Omicron, it will be the next variant. When the name Omicron fades from the headlines, as Delta did, it will be replaced. Thanks to COVID, we're all going to find out how many letters the Greek alphabet. And here is a recent article from New York, New York Post that uh, talks about yet another COVID-19 variant. The aforementioned Omicron. <clears throat> Dr. Angelique Kuetsi, a practicing doctor for 30 years who chairs the South African Medical Association, SAMA, SAMA, said she believed she had found a new strain of the virus after COVID-19 patients at her private practice in Pretoria exhibited strange symptoms. She says, their symptoms were so different and so mild from those I had treated before. Koetsi told the Telegraph. Continuing on from the same article, the World Health Organization officially named the virus on Friday, skipping two letters of the Greek alphabet and choosing Omicron. They have, there have been no confirmed cases of the new variant in the United States as of yet, but officials believe it may already be here. Two cases have been confirmed in the United Kingdom, which joined the U.S. and European Union in issuing travel restrictions. On Friday, New York Governor Kathleen Hochul declared a state of emergency and put a temporary halt on all elective surgeries in anticipation of hospitalizations. Uh, unquote. Several countries, including the U.S., are now restricting from Africa. Never mind that, like all northeastern United States, and therefore the COVID season has started in New York, regardless of the latest variant. Would they not be preparing for a surge in cases absent Omicron? When the Delta variant swept through the United States during the summer months, the media was quick to blame not the weather or the more contagious variant, but vaccine-hesitant deplorables in red states for its spread. They never bothered to mention the fact that high heat and humidity in many southern states drives people into air-conditioned indoors. That begs the question, if and when a winter surge occurs and the good people of the mainly blue northeastern states are driven inside due to the cold, will the fact of people spending more time indoors suddenly become relevant?
Inquiring minds want to know if the short yet well-chronicled history of the COVID pandemic teaches us anything is that news of the Omicron variant will be exploited as a reason to administer, resell more vaccine doses. It will be used as a justification for all sorts of limits to our freedoms, even as the Western world grows sick, not from COVID, but from things like vaccine mandates and COVID apartheid. All across the globe, people are taking to the streets against the quarantine of the non-sick and forced medical treatment and general infringement of human rights in the name of fighting a disease that the vast majority of people who've contracted it have recovered from. The expert class have so undermined their credibility that many now simply tune them out, even if they happen to be right. Again, it must be said that there will always, with this disease, be an excuse for authoritarian behavior on the part of our leaders, many of whom have a cavalier attitude towards the rights of others. This patronizing and oftentimes detrimental treatment will continue for as long as we let it. And that, in summary, is my uh, case to be made against any uh, Omicron hysteria. Of course, we know that, um, as I just mentioned, uh, any news, any new variant, um, be it the Delta variant or now the it was the Mu variant for a little while, now it's the Omicron variant. Uh, I don't know, did they skip those other two letters in the Greek alphabet because Omicron sounds more ominous? I don't know. It definitely uh, would make for a good... Uh, title for a science fiction novel, um, you know, maybe the Omicron Conspiracy. Um, but anyhow, um, they will exploit this, um, you know, the ruling class will to their ends, particularly those who are interested in controlling others. And so, uh, there's a, there's a couple of issues that also surround this new variant um, as we, we explore what's going on. As the article mentioned, um, and as I uh, speak to you these words, um, little is known really about the Omicron variant. Uh, we know it seems to um, have originated in South Africa. And we know that at least anecdotal evidence suggests that it is less severe than some other of the uh, variants, um, some other of the COVID-19 variants. Um, But that, of course, has never stopped the ruling class and the... uh, those who interested in setting up their own, um, their own, you know, little 
private utopia, you know, those uh, blue state utopians and blue country utopians, um, you know, they don't let uh, science um, get in the way. <laughs> you know, they use science when it suits them, and then uh, they use fear um, with uh, a light background in science. Or you know a you know under a little uh, misunderstanding of science to create fear when it suits them. So you know when science is on their side, they cite the science. Um, when the science is not on their side, they uh, exploit the fear, um, basically inciting irrational action. On parts of those who they mean to control. But getting back to, again, the what we do know of the Omicron variant, it seems to be less um, serious medically as other forms of the virus. Now, of course, there are people who are quick to point out that there have been no double-blind testing and extensive testing and data to show this. But uh, one cannot avoid the fact that what we do know is, you know, we can, we can only report, you know, people can only report what they've observed. And the facts that we know is that um, as far as it's been observed, this this variation is no more dangerous than any other form of the virus. And it may even be less dangerous. And so the and getting on to a kind of online discussion with the person earlier today, um you know, they keep on driving home that there's not enough data, not enough data to know. And we don't know if it's not uh, severe, because the point of the article was that it doesn't seem to be a very severe strain, yet, um, you know, we're taking all these, you know, somewhat drastic measures of closing down travel from Africa and some other countries. Um, but that's based upon what data. Now, my argument is that, okay, up to a point, that, okay, you know, an abundance of caution, you know, prudence might dictate uh, closing the borders or or restricting air travel until we have a better handle on this. The problem, what, problem is, and of course you already have, uh, like, the governor of New York uh, counseling, you know, assuming emergency powers, you know, you know, what's the chances of a governor abusing emergency COVID powers? I mean, come on. But seriously, they've, she's seized uh, emergency powers that has allowed her to, um, you know, curtail the unnecessary, I guess, unnecessary or optional um, surgeries or treatments uh, to free up bed space. That's not too bad. You know, I mean, if your strategy is to only do this for a couple weeks, maybe until you know you know what you have on your hands, um, you know, maybe you can do that. But 
you know, of course, the longer you keep the you know, the you know, number of you know keep people away from the hospitals and from doing their elective surgeries, we know from past experience that that has a long-term detrimental effect, and these issues that were ignored, uh, particularly during early portions of COVID, um, resurface and sometimes they contribute to other problems down the road. And so we have at best, you know, mixed results when it comes to uh, eliminating or curtailing um, the elective procedures that are allowed to be done. Um, Can make a certain amount of sense. I don't know if it's there yet, but, you know, that's kind of my point here and with that discussion I was having online is at what point you know does because these policies of closing down uh travel to places have a, a tendency to become permanent or semi permanent um policies that go in effect and they never seem to to uh go away you know, particularly when they have the lockdowns and so do we have the question is do we have enough data yet and um apparently we don't um the thing is that if you don't have if you can't say as this person was arguing that we don't know that's not that severe we don't know that it is that severe either and that was the point i was trying to make is you know you you don't know what you don't know about this variant um but we do we do have some facts about what we have observed what the doctor has observed um these are mild um and seemingly short-lived um um symptoms that people have experienced obviously we don't have a wide uh, experience you know we don't have a wide data set yet large data set yet to have a comprehensive um uh look at this new variant but again we don't if if you're going to say we don't have enough data to declare this a mild variant then we don't all we also don't have enough data to declare this a dangerous variant okay and so far as everything is pointed to is that it's no no more dangerous than you know run-of-the-mill covid um but you know we don't know that you know we we have to make policy people policymakers have to make decisions and the reality is people all the time throughout history not just with covid but with everything make a lot of important decisions based upon incomplete data okay and so that's that's one thing you know, you know do you close your borders or not if you do close off your borders how long do you do it how long um do you give it until you're satisfied that there's nothing um to worry about no detrimental effect or you know you're no worse you know with your borders open than you are having closed on this new variant 
And so at one point, um, does not having enough data, um, go from an excuse for prudence and, you know, abundance of caution to an excuse to just do, uh, whatever restriction on a person's freedom, um, that you feel like you, you want to do. And, you know, again, uh, I would cite as extreme example, you know, what we have, what we had in, uh, uh, Australia, New Zealand, and other Commonwealth countries. Uh, you know, particularly in Australia is the one that really comes to mind. You have a formerly free country that, you know, once COVID hits, you know, all of your freedoms and your rights, you know, basically go out the window. And there has been a lot of people, more and more people, more and more Australians um, have been complaining about that. And also more and more people across the world, uh, as I mentioned in my piece I just read to you here, um, you have demonstrations occurring in Prague, you have them in Melbourne and other parts of Australia, you have them in Ireland, okay, these are countries, you know, you have them in, in uh, um, Vienna, where they have what I think is a kind of pernicious, you know, severe uh, COVID apartheid. That's really the only way to describe it is uh, unvaccinated people are being separated from society, from the vaccinated. And when I talk about um, there not being enough data, well, there is data that we have. Uh, if we care to look at it about uh, natural immunity and how that ought to be taken in consideration anytime you want to do uh, a vaccine mandate or any kind of quarantine based on vac vaccination status, I would argue that you probably, you rarely if ever are justified in doing quarantine based solely upon vaccination status. But if you want to consider it, then it's only right that you should consider uh, the natural immunity that you should factor in a person's natural immunity when you're talking about uh, vaccination status and quarantine, quarantining uh, what seems to be healthy people. And that's the problem that they're having in Vienna is they want to basically shun on unvaccinated people regardless of their immunization status or their immunity status um, from every, everyday partaking in everyday life and that is not right and that is certainly worth them uh, getting up and protesting over and of course any student of history knows that um, let's just face it um uh, Austrian-born leaders um, who are authoritarian um, sometimes don't turn out um, to be good for the general populace. So I think we can just leave it at that, you know, because, you know, that's low-hanging fruit. It's kind of like picking on the French, honestly. Um, 
you know, it's it can be too easy sometimes. But you know, we can't ignore um, history, um, but we can uh, tease our our European allies about it from time to time, because <laughs> I'm sure they they tease us uh, about our quirks and our leaders too. And right now, we will be well deserved in the United States to be teased about our leaders, <laughs> but for different reasons. Anyhow, um, I digress. Um, getting back to, you no, know, you have this um, vaccination apartheid system, which does not recognize um, immunity. And so yeah, let's look at that. Let's break that down. Because if the objective was public health, and that was just the sole objective, is making sure that um, as many immune people, um, or immune people are fully integrated into everyday life, and non-immune people, the people most at uh, danger, um, for risk of COVID-19, those who don't have any sort of immunity, either artificial or natural, um, have to uh, be sequestered in some way, be quarantined in some way. You know, if you're going to go that route, you know, and if public health is your main concern, then why is it that natural immunity is not being considered? in these matters. Um, on the other hand, if you just want to sell as many doses of a particular vaccine as possible, then yeah, then your strategy would be to just ignore uh, any sort of natural immunity, even though the preponderance of evidence so far uh, ways in the favor of uh, natural immunity being at least as good, if not better, in some cases, than uh, immunity due to inoculation. And that is science. And that, that is knowable, but of course, that's not something that's being looked at. And so here, here we have uh, leaders kind of cherry-picking what kind of science they want to follow when it comes to uh, forming public policy. And that is a problem, um, you know, obviously. You know, if, again, if, if your concern is having as many immune people on the streets as possible and keeping less immune or non-immune people off the streets or out of general circulation, if you're going to do that, which arguably, you know, is probably not moral in and of itself, but if you're going to do that, um, if it's in the name of public health, then you would um, make, a, I think you would want to, you know, err in the favor of having as many people as possible included into having that vaccine passport or whatever it is. 
and leaving as few people as possible outside of, you know, normal, partaking in everyday normal life with, uh, you know, in large groups with other people. Again, I think that's kind of morally dubious in and of itself, but if you're going to take that route, um, the less immoral approach, I think, would be to consider uh, natural immunity. And uh, I don't think it would be unreasonable to say that if you've had uh, COVID-19 within, say, the last 6 to 12 months, you know, that number... Um, can be, you know, whatever, you know, you know, have the experts, real experts decide on what the best number is, what the best amount is, but decide that, okay, you know, six months is good. You know, anybody who's had COVID within the last six months should be considered as fully inoculated for the purpose of some, any sort of, uh, vaccine passport system. And again, um, I would argue that the morality of any sort of uh, vaccine passport system or COVID apartheid, let's call it for what it is, is morally justifiable, particularly if you value our freedom. Because um, I think you could argue, and I would certainly argue, that freedom, the ability to make your one's own choices, the ability, um, the freedom of choice, um, the freedom to choose not just the right path, but sometimes the wrong path or, or a path you don't understand. Um, you know, their free will is as important as life, the component of life when it comes to morality. And so you, and while you cannot have uh, unlimited free choice without regards to life, nor can you have life um, without any regards to free choice, morality suggests that there should be a balance between the two. And you cannot uh, morally justify sacrificing one for the other. And so that's where I come from. I think that's in fitting with many on the libertarian end of the spectrum. So that is where I'm coming from. And so, but you have uh, another group of people. I mentioned these are people who have ulterior motives. Um, you know, we want to think of just the health as being the motive. But again, if your motive is promoting health, then, and it's not uh, selling some vaccine or other treatment, then you would take one course. And But that's not the course that people are taking in many of these instances with these vaccine mandates. And, but they do will use it, continue to use it to justify those, you know, COVID apartheid, um, mandating even small children get a vaccine. Now, this vaccine, you know, everybody, anybody who knows anything about COVID understands that it's a, at least 
dangerous to the youngest among us. So it's the least dangerous to children, particularly those um, under the age of, you know, about 15 or, you know, or even more so, but, you know, under the age of 11. Um, pretty much everybody knows that. And so again, if it's the health of the people that is important and not selling uh, doses of a vaccine, why are you mandating that such young children get the vaccine? Because, they're again, they don't suffer nearly the same consequences as older people. Um, when I talk about older people, I'm talking about much older people uh, over the age of 65. You know, unless they have some other uh, corresponding um, health issue like diabetes or or some sort of heart problem or some other thing that, you know, one of the other comorbidities that is pretty well known by now. You know, besides from, from those few... Um, children in general are very, um, are almost not susceptible. They very rarely get ill to the point of needing hospitalization and, and much less, um, do they actually end up dying from COVID-19. And so it's it's almost unheard of that a child, I think under the age of 15, I believe, you know, of children under the age of 15 uh, dying from COVID-19 without some other comorbidity. And really, that's almost all humans. I mean, it's just, it's almost a statistical um, zero set of children who've died it's not zero but it's very close it's very it's almost hard to measure numbers that low um when you get to the really young ages um where you you compare that to the the mortality rate of people over 65 and 75 and 85 where you you have a huge number of the mortality from this disease coming from those um, high higher age groups, um, it's, you know, really the and really it's the ultra high age groups that are suffering from the worst. And everything, you know, everybody, you know, goes down almost exponentially the younger and younger you get until you get to uh, you know almost statistical zero when you get to the point of young children. And so, but you're mandating young children who are not likely to die. You know, they're not likely to be hospitalized, much less die from this disease. So they don't really need it for, arguably, for their health benefit. Um, and the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, I don't know too much about the other one, the Johnson Johnson and AstraZeneca, but the the Pfizer and Moderna ones, um, they don't keep people from spreading 
uh, COVID-19. I think it reduces the rate at which they can spread it, but it doesn't eliminate their ability to spread it, obviously, from uh, what we see with the numbers from the Delta variant and the, the latest surge coming from um, this this past um, this, this past summer. And so you don't have um, nearly the worry and they're done, you know, and also the children are not quite super spreaders with COVID-19. So it's a little bit counterintuitive. I think this is a problem that a lot of teachers have is they're used to uh, seeing kids spreading the common cold and the flu um, and those diseases um, quite readily. Um, just through their ordinary, you know, child child behavior and play, just through, the, through their own um, behavior, they spread the disease, and they're very they can be very good at spreading um, some diseases like the common cold. But the COVID is not uh, the common cold, at least not quite yet. May may get to that level at some point, but right now it's not. And so right now, you know, you don't have as much spread. You know, they the children don't seem to spread COVID-19 as effectively as they do other diseases like COVID um, or the common cold or in the flu. The super spreaders that they are with, uh, with regards to other diseases, yet they're being treated as such. And that's a problem. But again, this Omicron, you know, it's already been used to justify the New York governor assuming uh, emergency powers, which of course will only be, you know, whether it's good or not, you can argue, but these emergency powers are only ever used to limit a person's freedom. I mean, again, you can agree or disagree with, with the effectiveness of those measures, but you know, none of these emergency powers are ever used to increase a person's freedom. They're only used to decrease people's freedom. And that includes their freedom to engage into some elective surgery, which they may need, but just don't need right now. Um, or their freedom to go to work or their, their freedom to go to school um, with other people. Or in some cases, their freedom just to partake in everyday activities where other people are involved, you know, such as the case in in um, Austria at the moment in Vienna. And so, you have, you know, there's, you know, they the uh, Democrats say, you know, never let a crisis go to waste. And this, of course, is what they have here. They, this is what they see inevitably with the Omicron variant emerging, is they see this as an opportunity. They see this as an opportunity to further their control. Some of it, I would suggest, is just plain old sadism, um, the delight of making other people misery, miserable and controlling other people. And then uh, another component is just this 
um, utopianism that we've discussed at length in other podcasts. So I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole, but that's some of their um, motivation. And in other cases, it's strictly political. They want you... They don't want you going to the polls. They want you voting by mail. They want you to use these less controllable methods of uh, handing in your ballots, of voting when it comes time to vote. And so the variants, the COVID-19 has been used in general to A, scare people from to the polls in person, to be the preferred way of more conservative, more Republican people voting, and people to vote by mail uh, in less controlled ways, uh, in ways that are harder to detect to detect fraud, and but these ways are help out. You know, um, I don't think it thinks um, the Democrats. Democrats have trouble. Uh, historically, with voting out, they they very rarely, um, when it comes to getting people to the actual polling places, you know, they have a, they have a lot of trouble getting people to the polls to vote for their candidates. Um, I would suggest because they don't have very good candidates, and no one is as i mentioned before in other podcasts they don't have any broken glass candidates you know whereas people were gonna you know it was said that they were gonna crawl across broken glass to vote for george w bush or other republicans um when he was up for election and re-election you don't have that same sort of devotion to the Democrat cause, you know, Democrat slash socialist slash um, fascist slash communist slash collectivist cause that you have today. And so people aren't inspired to go out and get into their car, particularly in bad weather and or even walk across the street to go vote in on uh, the first Tuesday in November. So to get around that tendency, they make it easy to vote at home. And so they like voting because they don't have, I would say, uh, candidates inspire people to actually make an effort to vote. So absent of uh, inspiring candidates, they need to make it easier for people to vote, even if it's not really (laughs) um, something that they're really excited to do and so they have um the they have all of the, these uh rules and make it easier you know mail-in voting and you don't need uh to verify your signature the way you do uh, in, in some states uh vote and you don't have the same uh safeguards and you don't have the chain of custody and these are all things that the Democrats in particular like and that they can use COVID as an excuse to keep these things going uh, in perpetuity, they hope. And so that that's basically comes down to those 
three things. You have just people who are just plain old saddest. They um, delight in suffering of others. And then you have the utopians. Um, These are the people who believe that if you can just control the populace enough, you know, they can uh, have their own utopian perfect society. And so they naively believe that. And then you have this last group that do it strictly for political power. They know that um, if they can get certain rules passed, if they can, if they can change the norms that surround uh, balloting and voting and vote counting that favor them, that uh, they, they have, they can use COVID as a means of disguising their actions of consolidating their power and uh, basically making it easier um, for uninspired people to vote, go vote um, despite not really being cited for the candidate or even uh, one hates to say um, vote illegally or fraudulently, um, you know, without the safeguards that, we associate with protecting those things. So you have those people. And I think that's the three way ways that people, certain people will attempt to exploit, uh, not just this newest Omicron outbreak, but every subsequent outbreak, um, you know, there, there will always be another variant. That's what we're learning. We're all kind of learning, you know, we weren't already doctors and learned. Some of us have been paying attention and educating ourselves. And so we're all going through this together. We're all going through this course on um, epidemiology, uh, you know, one, um, let's say, together. And so we're learning all of this together. And what we are learning is that these diseases tend to have spikes. They have a spike, then they kind of burn themselves out, then they spike again as um, as people change their habits, like going indoors, you know, staying more, spending more time indoors, or their um, natural immunity wanes, and so they're susceptible to reacquiring that disease. And so we're learning about spikes and a lot of us are learning this all together for the first time, but we are learning it and we're becoming versed more and more versed in these things. Those of us who have been paying attention and have been willing to put the energy and uh, time into learning about these things, you know, um, but that's okay. We'll be continued. They'll continue. Well, the old trope, well, you're not a doctor. You're not, are you an epidemiologist? Well, are you a doctor? How do you know these things? Blah, blah, blah. They're going to continue to say these things. Um, it's going to be less, less an effective argument or less and less uh, honest argument as we go through this, you know, real life uh, on the job training, as it were, in epidemiology and virolo- virology and basic you know, uh, science, um, regarding to the spread of disease. 
So as we educate ourselves and become better educated, um, and although those arguments will be less and less valid intellectually, it won't stop them from being used. So, but you know, don't be afraid, particularly if you're engaging with people on social media, don't be afraid of using your knowledge, um, saying what you know or what you've heard or, or what you've heard uh, from a certain study. Um, you know, don't be intimidated by these people because you don't know if they're epidemiologists, you know, um, doctors either. You know, you don't know what kind of medical training they have either. A lot of these people who are accusing you of not knowing what you're talking about have no more or even less understanding of these things than you do. So don't be afraid to challenge their positions online. You know, educate yourself on the facts and basics of epidemiology if you're going to engage in that but you know know what studies you're talking about know what they say know what they don't say and know that some studies that we might like the results are of are useless or maybe even you know bs i mean that's just the way it is but the other side has their studies too some of their studies that they like to cite are useless and bs and so you know, in, in the end, it's, it turns into an exercise of sometimes cherry-picking what studies you want to follow and which ones you don't. Um, but don't be afraid of uh, making an argument. But definitely, at the same time, you know, it would behoove you to learn as much as you can about the subject, you know, and comment on it. But... It also behooves you to do that for your own edification, um, even if you're not going to be arguing like I like to do with people online about these matters. You know, it makes sense for you just for the, your own protection and protection of your family. So you can detect some BS, you know, when you hear this new and novel strain of the Omicron variant and, oh my God, is it is it happening all again and you'll know to kind of take that with a grain of salt and it's like okay well what does studies say what do we actually know and does the data support the decisions that are being made on our behalf you know what does the data support and lo and behold you know in the case of omicron at the moment we really don't have we don't really know much about data and so uh, we don't know if it's if we don't know if it's not serious if or, or if you don't uh, can't say for a scientific certainty that it's not serious well then you can't say it is serious either you know if you're going to cite a lack of data for that position but I would say that all knowledge is has value uh, even if it's just a handful of cases and and that uh, New York Post article. You know, was just talking about one doctor that in her practice seen an unusual uh, array of symptoms around what turns out to be this new variant. And but the, that array of symptoms is not any more um, dangerous, uh, at least in her observation, than any other form or any other variant or the wild variant of uh, COVID. And so. You know, if, if you can't say 
that there's enough evidence to pronounce it less severe, then there's also not enough evidence to, to pronounce it more severe and worthy of any sort of hysteria or any uh, draconian measures. Um, if, if you don't know that it's not severe enough to not take the measures, then you don't know it's severe enough to take those measures, would be my point. Now, you know, there's also, you know, a sensible person, you know, in the instance of prudent, interest of prudence will say, well, okay, let's study this some more. Let's, you know, be a little bit of conservative in our approach and, and maybe slow down travel to other countries while we study it. But you always have to keep in mind that, you know, you have to be watchful for these policies not to become uh enshrined or you know made permanent or semi-permanent as they often do um because once you take away someone's liberty um in the name of fighting a disease then or and in, in, for any reason it tends to be very hard to get the liberty back and it's, it, it takes more of a fight to get that liberty back once it's lost and then it does to take it in the first place so you have to be wary of the hysteria know that there are people who are going to take advantage of it for their own purposes and learn you have to think for yourself sometimes you know the conclusion is not a great one. This, you know, if this variant was seen to be more lethal, then maybe other more stringent, or you know, more stringent measures would be in order. But we don't know that yet, and we have no evidence that really any kind of draconian measures are warranted. You know, if you can't say that that they're not warranted, you can't say that there are either. Or if you're going to cite data or the lack thereof as your deciding point then you know it goes both ways um so don't ex you know you, you can't accept the argument um just you know they say that there's no data therefore we don't know it could be dangerous you know well you don't have the data to say it is dangerous so you know why are you being cavalier with people's uh, freedoms, you know, maybe more measured approach, you know, take a, you know, if you're going to restrict anybody's movement, do it with a way that has least impact possible. And, um, you know, try to be honest with yourself about why you're doing it. Um, are you doing it for public safety or are you doing it to sell more of a product or are you doing it for some other form of control? Or some other um, thing not tied to uh, public health. Um, so that is, uh, as far as we know, um, the Omicron. And but I think this is a transferable one. I'm talking about you know, a specific strain here, but really this applies to any new strain. It could be any, you know, it could be the next disease that comes up. Could be not even coronavirus. I think this way of thinking that we have to adopt, that we're forced to adopt this skepticism, um, this healthy skepticism 
is something that we have to adopt and continue on, whether it's the next variant or the next disease or when it comes to things like, uh, you know, climate change, dealing with climate change, you know, we don't lose that healthy skepticism. And uh, that that's our best defense um, in many cases against the tyranny because there's always going to be someone looking for an excuse to control you. That's just the fact. And sometimes that's not a benevolent reason that they're using. And so that is, I think, the lesson to be had here is if you don't know enough to take a no measure, then you're not, you don't know enough probably to take the more severe measure either. Uh, so it has to work both ways and you have to find a way to balance um, the preservation of life with the liberty. Both are equal um, uh, parts of morality, um, I would suggest. And so that is the lesson to be had, um, you know, educate yourself as much as you can, much as you have time for, as much as you're able to be skeptical and don't just accept um, on its face, uh, some of these measures and, you know, look at, look at other things like ulterior motives for doing these things. Now, sometimes, uh, taking these measures we may not like, but they're, they're good or they can at least be indifferent or, you know, kind of morally, um, neutral, you know, morally neutral, um, ideas, but you still have to examine it with a critical eye to discern for yourself. And, and a part of that is understanding that, um, knowledge is power and people are using knowledge for, um, good power and for bad. And so you have to understand that it cuts both ways. And I think pretty much I've kind of covered everything I wanted to cover. Um, and we'll see. Uh, we will see what happens. Um, uh, is it harder for people to just turn on or turn off people's rights now that people are a little bit more savvy and we've had over a year to deal with the COVID problem? You know, are people more savvy now? Are they too convinced to just relinquish their freedoms? Um, you know, and what are the effective measures that people are taking? You know, is um, people uh, marching in the streets enough? Or, you know, is it elections? Is that the answer? Is it campaigning or running for office yourself? What's the answer there? Um, or is it a little, maybe probably all of the above? Or a little bit of each? Um, you know, kind of remains to be seen. So it'll be interesting see what people are willing to put up with and what um, people are will are can get away with when it comes to um, the fear of uh, COVID-19 and the fear of this new variant.
And so uh, I think we can leave it at that. Again, um, you know, just pay attention. Be be alert. Um, be skeptical, but also be open to learning new things and accepting. You know, sometimes um, we have to do things that are hard in order to succeed and get where we want to go in life. So, um, we'll just kind of wind it up on that thought. Uh, thanks again for listening. And also, uh, it is worth mentioning, since as I'm speaking these words at the moment, um, you know, we're just getting done with Thanksgiving in the United States. So, you know, take a little bit of time to think of the things that you're thankful for. I think we all have something to be thankful for. And the purpose of Thanksgiving is for us, you know, to, to reflect on what we have. Um, and what we, you know, not so much what we don't have, but we what we do have and what we can build on. And so, you know, happy bladed Thanksgiving, particularly to those in the United States. Um, obviously you could listen to this months from now, but still, uh, never hurts to, uh, think of the things that you can be thankful for. And so keep that in mind. And it also happens to be Hanukkah, uh, for those who, um, celebrate that season that day. So, um, it's another, uh, miracle that, you know, we can give thankful for, um, you know, it's good that, uh, these holidays, um, be it Hanukkah or Christmas, that there's something that, uh, the creator we believe has given to us, be it, you know, uh, a source of light for, uh, an extra few days or, a source of salvation for well, the rest of our lives. Uh, in the case of Christianity and Christmas, you know, it's good that we have, we center our holidays around things that we can be thankful for. And I think that's, that's a good thing. That's one of the positives that we can take about from our uh, Western civilization or our culture here is that we have reverence for those things for that provide us with both life and freedom and that's why we celebrated uh not too long ago uh veterans day you know again we celebrate things that give us both life and freedom and thank you for listening hopefully um it's been a little bit enlightening for you and in the meantime stay healthy happy and free